0: Well, good morning again. We're looking at putting the troops back into their boots. Putting the troops back into their boots. This is the assignment on us as a house to put troops back into their boots. Why? Because these boots are made for walking. That's what we're going to do. One of these days, these boots are going to march all over you. What's the song? One sang, one sang in our nation. But the thing is this, is when God puts you back into boots, it may feel uncomfortable for some, but it's the very thing you were always called to do. Is to be put back into the boots. The boots literally mean ready to go out into the harvest field. Troops wear boots. Do they not? it doesn't look good troops soldiers wearing slippers slip-ons slacks whatever you call them or sneakers runners trainers whatever when you go to war you need firm grip and boots back into their uh, sorry troops back into their boots is something every soldier needs to wear it's part of the armor of god the shoes fitted on the on right rightfully should say, rightfully fitted on, on the feet of the soldiers of God. Amen. And you know, do you realize already January's nearly past us? It doesn't seem two minutes ago since we were celebrating Christmas. And that means nearly a month of our talking about this has already passed. And we've got 11 months. Because God has given us a very clear mandate of what to do this year, 2020. And we keep trying to, and God's told us what to do, how to do it, and for how long to do it. And this is what we've got to do, but we've got to motivate and mobilize the people in this first wave of uh, instruction, what God spoke to us. And um, it's a time, like I said this morning, it's a time for transition of our nation. Our nation is leaving Europe, though, sh- though she's leaving Europe from a control point of view, she's not leaving Europe from a point of relationship we are Europeans, we are Europeans, and that's how we must think, uh, we, it's not us and them, but right now when, it, when there's an argument, there's always us and them, and the nation was the us, and Europeans were them, but now we are, you know, they're our, they're our friends, our allies, our brothers and sisters, and so forth, and so on, but we have independence now, and we're trying to make it our own way, and so pray for our nation. Pray for this nation, pray for our government, because they are clueless. They haven't got a clue what they're doing. So, but our God does. Our God does know what he's doing, and the church must know the God who knows what he's doing. And the people who know their God will become strong and do mighty exploits, amen? So we must know the God of heaven, and we we must know the word of God, and we must know the God of his word, We must know the word of God and we must know the God of his word. Because the word of God and the God of the word are inseparable. If you take my word, you must be able to take the word of the man. Not just the words that come out of his mouth. You must be able to take me. And that's how we build trust and reliance. And uh, those are the things that God wants us to have when we listen to his word. So putting these troops back into their boots is a key fundamental shift for us as a church. Passive Christianity was never part of God calling you. Passive Christianity was never part of your discipleship. So, God spoke to us at the beginning of the year, and he put this word on our radar, he said, wholeheartedly. This year, everything I want you to do as as an individual, as a group of people, as a church, must be done wholeheartedly. Not half-heartedly. Wholeheartedly. Why? When God gives, gave his own son, he gave him wholeheartedly. 100%. Amen. are you glad he did that? Uh, absolutely. So when God instructs you to do something, what percentage do you think he's looking for in your response? 100% wholeheartedly. Heartedness. He's not saying, David, do this and I'll... Uh, well. David's casual about it. No, he says, David, do it 100% full-on, wholehearted. All in, not half in. Amen? So we've got to do everything that God speaks to us about 100% wholeheartedly. And God will come and support us when we go for that kind of mentality. Amen? Because wholehearted is an attitude. It's a response of your heart when you do something wholeheartedly. God can look at your heart and measure the intensity and the intent of your heart by how much percentage you put in or you show towards something. And God is 100% committed to you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll carry you to the very end. And he says, you can rely on me. You can count on me. You can trust on me. I'm 100% all in for you. That's fantastic. To know, how would you feel if God woke up this morning and he said he was only 30%? He wasn't feeling well. If God wasn't feeling well, God helped the rest of us. If God's only 60% on his game today, then the world's in trouble. God is 100% every day, all day. Now you'll say you're not God. Absolutely. But you have have the spirit of Christ in you. So that you have been given all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen. Amen. You have the Holy Ghost. You have the Father. You have the seed. You have everything to succeed in life. The only thing God can't give you is effort. That must come out of your desire. That must come out of your love for him. God doesn't give you effort. God sees the love, sees the desire in your heart. And then he measures according to that. So God instructed us. Well, late last year, God began to speak to me, and stir me, about putting the troops back into their boots. A recommission. And I began to, in fact, I've wrestled with this for a couple of years. But last year, it became clear to me that this is the thing. The Dream Center, if it's going to have a future, it must be recommissioned back to what Christ always intended his church to be. And that is to become a soul winning people. A soul winning people. The dream center will will be many things, many things. But one of those things that she must become is a soul winning people. She must be conscious about the lost. She must have a heart for the lost. When the the nation's going down, can the church step in and pray for her and intercede for a nation? No church will ever do that if it has no heart for the lost. Come on. It's not enough to sing God save the queen. It's not only the, the queen that needs saving our nation needs saving and you know many inside the church the lost sheep of Israel are actually inside the church there are many dead people inside the church and that's why God has to start with the house of God first he stirs the heart of the church to change the atmosphere in the nation and over the nation amen how many of you have, have heard of this principle the Pareto principle some of you may have heard of it some of you may not well the Pareto principle is a law it's not just a principle, it's a, it's a law, apparently. And it's called the law of the, listen to this, the law of the vital few. The vital few. We, let me give you a biblical word for the law of the vital few. It's called the remnant. Yeah, yeah. The remnant are the vital few that God uses to do the work that other people refuse to do. The vital few, the law of the vital few. So we can have few, but within the few, there is even fewer. Does that make sense? We may have 60 people, but maybe only 10 may be considered as the few. The vital few. Why are the, they vital? Because they are the game changers. They are the, they are the seed in the ground, the stump that refused to die, a stump that God can speak to and cause it to grow yet again. You may have had barren years. But if you're the vital few remnant, God only has to speak to you. And once again, your tree can come alive. And God is speaking to us as a house so that our tree, our stump comes alive. And yet so that our branches can then begin to reach over the the walls and go. This tree was always designed. This tree was always designed in this house, this root to go over the wall into other nations. This has always been a sending house. Amen. So, but you can't see because the TV's here and we say, speak to the tree tenderly. God gave us a prophetic picture of our region and said, speak to that tree. Why? Because others have cursed the generation. They said there'd be no good. Nothing good would come from this place. That was the curse that was spoken over this land. Nothing good would come from this place. Well, look around you. We've already reversed that. But they said the soil was no good. It would not produce. So they spoke a curse over the land. And then sometime later, the council began to try to reach out to young people. And they spent a lot of money and they had no success. So they called them a useless generation. And so that curse begins to be replicated in the mouths of other generations. And God says, arrest it in the spirit. Go and speak to the tree. Go and address the roots. Don't scream at the tree. Don't do warfare at the tree. Go and nurse it back to health. And speak tender, spirit-driven words to this tree. Nurse it back to health. Because the roots go deep into the ground. And in the spirit. And words begin to revive or words begin to kill. So when we begin to speak, we, put, we get back into our boots and we begin to do the very thing we were always designed and called to do and that's to speak to atmospheres, change cities, change people's lives. You and I have that power. It's not an impossible task. It's not a difficult task, but it is a continuous task. Amen? And it's one that needs the vital few. The Lord of the vital few. See, this law says that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You want to kill a workforce, give 20% of the people 80% of the responsibility. That's not the best way to empower people. You'll never reach a nation with 20%. What? What? The church is meant to have its 100% workforce. This is not our standard. This is not our benchmark. This is not our standard. Our standard is raise all the troops. How do you do that? If you flood, if you flooded this place with water, do you know what? We'd all float to the top. Everyone... Weight and size would not matter. We would all float. Why? Because we're all designed to float. Those who were panicked might sink. But when you're dead, you'll come back up and float. You'll all float, whether you swim or not. Why? Because that's what you're designed to do. So what do we do? We're meant to flood the harbour. And all the boats that are lying, who, who are saying, don't use me, don't use me, And the moment the water starts coming in, the boat comes back up. And boats begin to discover their buoyancy. And all of a sudden they go, hey, I can float. I can float. And a boat comes back back to its normal. And there's a little bit of shaking, a bit of rocking. And then all of a sudden the boat realises, this is what I was built for. I was built for sailing. I was built for floating. Wow. All I needed was the water. The boat had all the potential, but the boat had to wait for the water to come in or for the water to rise. And the water is the water of the Holy Spirit. As it floods into the chambers of your heart, it raises you to the level of the word that's coming to you. Amen. Amen? The law of the vital few must not become our portion. Though God uses a remnant that's not his desire for the New Testament church. The remnant was what he used in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's all the believers. Hello? Amen. All the believers. So, it's wrong. The, sorry, the 80-20 percent, the principle is wrong. It's unbiblical and it's ungodly. In a house. Why? Because God has filled every vessel. He didn't fill these guys and not these guys. God filled every vessel, and because he's put his full latent power within you, he's given you everything for life and godliness, he expects every boat to float. He expects every troop to step into their boots. He expects every soldier to put on their armor. There is not one who can, who's disqualified from that assignment. Not one. That's a powerful thought. So Matthew nine thirty-seven, he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in the harvest field. Now, what percentage do you think is, is working here? No. The workers are, but the harvest is, so there is 100% of the work need doing out there. But there's only a 20% workforce. So he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to address this issue. To turn this around, because this is not good. The workers are few. We need more workers to address the lack of workers in the harvest field. Now, we are not the sum total of the workforce for this nation. But we are a workforce nonetheless. So if the tribe of the Dreamerites, if the tribe of the Dreamerites stood on one side of the hill, and another church stood on another, and all the churches came with all their forces and resources, you know, we would have a significant impact just in this small region. But we see drones of people going to church, but we see even less of them on the streets. Why? Because it's become safe, nice and warm inside church. So, 20%, the 20% who do work are then focused towards church work. Instead of putting that 20% out there in the field, we use the 20% to do the work of the church. Or church work, should say. Church work is running meetings, visiting the sick. Now, all these things have to go on, by the way. Visiting the sick, teaching, children's ministry, blah, blah, blah. All these things are good for us and we need these things, but this is not the totality of the work. This is church work. But what about the church doing the work of the kingdom? Doing the work of the kingdom is church doing the work of the church. That is, the church is God's vehicle for changing this nation. So if we just run the church meetings this morning, all this got turned around. It got turned around by the Lord of the few. It wasn't the 80%. It was a small minority of people who worked hard to turn this building around so the 80% could enjoy it this morning. Right? Oh, I like the church. I like the church. No one's asked how it got there. No one's asked how it's getting back. Because the few... We're enthusiastic now you can say well we didn't know about it and I understand that but what I'm pointing of making is the few did it but this benefits a few but it doesn't mobilise everyone doing church work only mobilises a few there's not a job for everyone inside this building but there is a role for everybody outside and beyond and this is why both must carry on we must do the work of the church and church must have a work and the church must have a work. And right now, this work is to mobilize everyone and get the troops back into their boots. The troops back into their boots. Because this is what God is saying. Now, if we take a look at the... Uh, well, we've seen that scripture. Look at this scripture. So the Lord... So the Lord... Haggai chapter 114. So the Lord stirred up the spirit. Just, just park there for a second. The Lord stirred up the spirit. And I, my prayer has been, and it will be, and it will continue to be, that as I keep preaching and speaking this to you, the Lord will stir up the spirit within you. Now watch how, watch what has to happen. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, one man, that's the king, son of Sheltiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, So we have a governor and we have the high priest. We have the prophet who speaks the word. What's this? And the whole remnant of the people. So God includes. When God speaks, he speaks through one man to touch the governor, to touch the high priest, to stir up the whole remnant of the people. God wasn't just interested in talking to a prophet alone and a prophet talking to a governor or a governor talking to a priest. Three is not enough. He wants to stir up the whole remnant of the people. Watch this. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty. Now, all these things only happened because the Lord stirred up the spirit of the people. God was involved. It wasn't just the man speaking through the words of the man. God has to take the words because my words are life and the spirit and they are life. God has to take these words so that one thing I say, two things, three things, four things you hear. And as you begin to hear, the Lord stirs up the spirit within you. And he moves us all together to one common goal. Look this. Is, and they began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. It's not your God, it's our God. Because I don't know what your God might be. But I know what our God is. So they began to work on the, Lord, uh, on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. So the word has come from heaven into my spirit. It's now, I've stirred up the, the priests. That's the leadership. The governors. The priests. Now we're presenting it to the people. And God has to, see, When first of all, as God spoke to me, I speak to them, and I have to let this word that's energizing me stir in them. And when I feel it's stirring in them, then we're ready to bring it to you. Because if it's not clear in them and not certain in them, then we have a house that's divided. So we have to go as one unit, our leadership has to go as one unit, and then we begin to stir and share it with different people. Sometimes we do it like this, other times we do it in small groups. But the heart, the idea is to keep sowing and sowing and sowing so that someone can conceive in their spirit and become pregnant. And once you become pregnant, you're aware that you'll carry in life and you guard what you carry until you bring it to birth. So we started talking about conception, did we not? The importance of carrying, caring for and bringing to birth. So at different times as we keep speaking, God will inject you with life and his words will stir you up. You go, Pastor, I feel it. I feel it. Mary's already picked it up and the ADT students have already picked it up. We call them the first wave. They're the first troops to be deployed. And they're excited about going out, and they're using drama. Just not creating drama, but they're using drama. And they are the first. Now, that, you've got to know that excites a pastor. That excites the leadership. Why? Because some, she, on her own initiative. And then the others who listen to what she's, the idea she's got, they're all behind her. So all of a sudden now, there's waves. So we've called this group the first wave. And when I tell people, you know, our OLDs are going out, they go, really? Wow, that's fantastic. The OLDs are rising up. Not everyone's OLD, I know that, but... but. Making that clear, they're not all OLDs. But let's look at word. let's break down this word wholehearted. Just, just pick this word up, fully or completely sincere. Enthusiastic energetic, devoted. Do we have any fully or completely sincere people? Do we have any, in, any enthusiastic, energetic, devoted people? Determined, earnest, truthfulness. Got earnest down twice there, do not we? Goodwill, veracity, impartiality, seriousness, genuineness, reliability, truth, frankness, trustworthiness, and sincerity. Can you ever get one word that describes so many things? So when God's saying to you, be wholehearted, these are some of the the manifestations that God's looking for in our hearts. Can we be sincere? Can we be energetic? Can we be enthusiastic for the right things? Can we be sincere with our devotion? Can we show impartiality? Can we show seriousness? Genuinity? Can we show trustworthiness? Truth and frankness? Frank, who was it? Frankness, whoever he is. But such an eclectic array of words to describe one word. When God gave his son to die on a cross, God was completely sincere. He was enthusiastic. He gave his only son. He was energetic. Jesus Christ was devoted. He was earnest. He was serious, he was genuine, he was reliable, sincere, trustworthy. If Christ can go all out for you, we must learn to go all out for him. Amen? Amen? No, I know this transition will happen in stages. It will happen in stages. God spoke to me not to be too impatient. He showed me how it will happen. He's not showing me who it will happen through, but he'll show me how it will happen. So my role and the leader's role is to guide, guard, and govern that process. And we'll do that with diligence, with trustworthiness, with reliability, with seriousness, with energy. You know, the older you get, the less energy you feel. But you have to learn to use your energy you've got wisely. So you can't be running around like a twenty-year-old. But what you can do is serve and use maximum energy in short bursts. You just gotta learn how to distribute what you've got, what you carry in dosage. Amen. Youngins can run all day, every day. Do you remember the days when we could just run and run and run and run and run and play in the street, play football in the street? Well, girls, you won't know that, but we did. And we went out in the morning in a t-shirt. It was freezing outside. We didn't give a rip. We went outside. We played football in the street. We played football in the fields. We played football all day. We never came in for dinner. We didn't even come in for tea. Mum says, where have you been? Out playing football. Why ask a silly question? That's what boys do. They play football. And we spent all day just running, 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 running. Didn't we, Phil? now they're just playing playstations no one runs FIFA is now become we played FIFA, we was FIFA all you needed was a shirt that was a golf post, game was on football should be played anywhere it doesn't matter what the surface you just can't slide on your knees but we had a good goal. the red wreck we had a pitch called the red wreck now why do you think it was called the red wreck because it was shale and everyone who got caught was a wreck a red wreck but he never stopped us we come in with cut some bruises we just played why because we were enthusiastic about the game we loved the game and cut some bruises bangs and knocks as long as you could score the goal and go home and say wasn't i awesome <laughs> football's all about the moment it's all about scoring that goal Shame Phil never scored many goals, but there you go. (laughs) You set me up a few times, didn't you, fella? So we see, go back to, and the Lord stirred up the spirit, Zerubbabel, son of Shelteel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people, and the spirit, and the spirit of the whole people. There's a spirit within us. I'm not trying to reach John. I'm trying to reach the spirit within him. If I can appeal to the spirit within him, his spirit will leap. So just like Mary and Elizabeth, we walk in to the room and the baby that's inside him, birthed by the same spirit, is the same that's in me. And deep calls to deep in the roar of his waterfall. And he goes, there's something in me that excites me. And he sees it and I see it in him. And we're drawn And then two become one. And then three become, four become, five become. And God has to stir the spirit within you. I'm not trying to reach your brain. It's the spirit within you that must be touched. So in order to touch the spirit, I must be in the spirit. I must pray and pray for you. I want you to know that your pastor is praying intently for you. Oh, boy, am I praying for you. And I know there'll be a breakthrough. God has spoke to me only this week about how the breakthrough will come. I'll share that with you guys later. I love the fact that when I speak to God, God speaks to me about speaking to Him. Think about that. You speak to God, God speaks to you about speaking back to Him. So He can speak to you about speaking back to Him. And so He locks us into the dialogue. Amen? That's what prayer is. So we're wholehearted go to 1 Chronicles chapter 28 talking about Solomon 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9 and you my son Solomon acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with whole hearted devotion so you my son Solomon Acknowledge the God of your father. So now his father is speaking to the son and he's trying to install generational continuity. And as he's passing this wisdom on to his son, he's trying to transfer wisdom, knowledge into the heart of the next generation. That's so important that we do that. And it takes fathers, it takes leaders, it takes mentors, it takes all kinds of people to keep speaking so that the next generation can catch what this generation's caught. Because God wants continuity. There's nothing like young people to be wholehearted. When you get older, you think about it before you go wholehearted. You've already got commitments. You've got children, you've got financial commitments, you've got all kinds of things going on. Work commitments. When you're young, you've got no commitments. Commitments. So when you're already committed, why would you want another commitment? Come on. That's why God has to stir the hearts of his people so that when God stirs your heart, you'll always find that extra 10, 15, 20, 30, 40% to do what you really feel stirred to do. It's true. If you give someone a role and I say, Can you make Kelvin, can you make the tea and coffee? He says, Oh man, that's a 10% commitment I need. No, actually, it's an all. It's a 100% commitment. Why? Because I like my toast done properly. And I like my tea done properly. I don't want half-heartedness. I want proper tea. I want good toast. True? But he says, I'm already committed. I come to church, now you've got me working. Now, you see, not, don't take this personal. You see the mentality there. I'm already committed. I already work. When I come in church, I shouldn't have to work. That's a wrong attitude. I'm not saying you've got that, by the way. We've already got that mentality that says, I'm already fully committed outside. So therefore, when do you serve God? Well, actually, I come to church. Well, good for you. Even the mice come to church. Even the spiders come to church. All the living creatures come to church. The issue is not do you come to church. The issue is, can you serve God? Do you serve God? When do you worship God? Well, I worship God every Sunday. Really? Is that all? Well, how often do you play music? Probably every day. So you sing more stuff outside of church, nothing to do with God, than you would do. And when you realize that our lives are completely imbalanced, what we do, and we've got this idea of serving God, it's nothing to do with New Testament. It's all to do with our culture. We've settled. We need to get back into our boots. And we can do that. The only reason we get back into those boots is by being wholehearted. So the scripture says, Son, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Wow. Wow. And I like this scripture in, Chron- in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 29, 17. 1 Chronicles 29, 17. It says, and I know my God. Do you know your God? And I know my God that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. Let's go back to that word. Where's it gone? Truthfulness. Truthfulness. I know, Lord, that you are pleased with integrity, truthfulness. And he says, All these things I've given willingly with, an honest, with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willing your people, watch this, I've seen how willing your people who are here have given to you. O Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you and give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands requirements and decrees and to do everything to build a palatial structure for which I have provided there's a lot in that scripture first of all God tests the heart of everyone so as God is speaking to you and to me about this transition Already, many people say, well, Lord, I'm already committed. I already do enough. That's a bad word straight away. God is testing the hearts of every hearer. Because hearing is not responding. You need to respond to what you hear. You need to say, Lord, I may, how do I do this? How do I make this journey? You have to do something in me. That's a good response. So God tests the hearts of every one. God is testing the heart and the response of everyone because in the response is an attitude. It's an attitude. So God is testing our attitude. So God tests the heart of everyone. That's number 1. Number 2, God was God is pleased with the integrity of heart. We see that in that scripture. Take it back to it. Where is it gone? No, missed it. There you go. Wait. Oh, no, I've not got it on there, Never. That's why. I read it to you. <laughs> God is pleased with the integrity of our integrity. What's this? Integrity are those things you do when nobody's watching. That's integrity. What do you do when no one's watching? Yeah. When the lights are dimmed, the music switched off, What do you do when no one's watching? That's integrity. That's when God's watching you in the secret of your own mind. What do you think on? Who do you think about? God's watching. God's watching what's in our hearts. He's never far from us. Amen. And then he says, no, I have seen with joy how willing your people are those people you have given me that's what he says in chronicles he's noticed he's observed the willingness of the people folks there's nothing that makes a pastor's heart so joyous when he sees the willingness of the people to serve and give their lives because the greatest power you've got do you know what it is is when you submit yourself when you submit yourself no one made you do that that's the greatest power you and I can have if I bow down uh, 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 in reverence to God, that's a great power I have to bow down and get back up. If he lets me get back up, that is. But to submit myself is a great, great liberty, freedom that you have. There are many nations around the world who enforce people and subject their people to all kinds of things. But here in the West, we are free. We're free, and that freedom sometimes has made us completely slaves. In our mentality, we think we're free, but we're actually slaves to commercialism, to materialism, to all different kinds of things. We've become slaves in our own freedom. You say to people, will you do that?" I can't, I can't, because, because, because. We've enslaved ourselves by our own commitments, our own desires. So we saw god test the heart of everyone god was pleased with the integrity of people's hearts and the leader saw how willing the people had become then the last thing uh, sorry the second to last thing the prayer came from the leader's heart there was a prayer that released a certain kind of prayer in the heart of the leader when the leader sees the people beginning to respond to the message the leader can pray a little bit differently And then he begins to get behind what he sees is moving in the hearts of the people. And he begins to join his strength in prayer. Now he's praying behind them. and now Because he's praying behind them, but he's speaking in front of them. Yes? So as he speaks, he's leading them, but he's close enough to relate with them. And he gets behind them, and his prayer is what moves them along. But his words is what's leading them. But his prayer is is what's making sure it's guiding them in that right way. Because every leader that prays for his people, God moves in the heart of the leader. Because when the leader starts praying for his people, there's no greater prayer sometimes than you praying for others. It's a beautiful thing when God sees leaders crying out for the people. Amen? Sometimes you can pray for your people to be so blessed that they'll bless themselves and walk right out the door. You've got to be, if I've learned anything... There's a way to bless people. There's a way. I don't can control, I cannot control how God blesses you. But what I can control is what I release. What I release. If I said to Paul, if I just pray for Paul, Paul's a member of the congregation, he's half-hearted, he's loose, he's a nice guy, and I pray, oh Lord, give him everything you've got. And Paul says, I can't come to church now. Why, you bless me, I've got a job now. I can't serve God now. I've got a job, I've got responsibilities. I blessed him so much, that I put him in prison. Be careful how you bless. Be careful what you speak over people's life. Be careful which direction you send your children in. You just may bless them into prison. Be very careful. You must have an idea of how, what serving God looks like. And serving God must come with freedom. Yeah. Amen? And then the last thing he prayed was, uh, David prayed, he said, Lord, give my son wholehearted devotion. David saw that the key to the throne of Israel continuing was to make sure that his son needed a heart, wholehearted devotion. That was the heart of the father to pray that for his son. Now we know the story of Solomon women became his, downpour, his downfall every one of us has a downfall but prayer protects us from a lot of nonsense when I'm weak then I can become strong if someone's praying there's nothing like you know there's nothing like a mother or a grandmother or a grandfather praying for their children generational prayer is fantastic a war room prayer you know the war room the movie the war room she went to fight for a marriage. And when she fought for a marriage, she went wholehearted. She knew that her marriage was, was what God had instigated. And she fought for the very thing that meant something to her. And she went wholehearted. If you've never seen the movie, go and see it. In fact, we shown it here not so long ago, didn't we? Wholehearted. Full on. There's only one way. And I'm praying for you, and the leaders are praying for you, that Lord, give this congregation wholehearted devotion. Wholehearted devotion, not half-hearted. <coughs> wholehearted. Oh, my Lord. Acts 2.42, and this we're finished. Acts two forty two and it starts with and they devoted themselves and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship yeah it is Phil and to the fellowship to so the breaking of bread and to prayer and everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles all the believers were together. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave everyone as he or they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together and was glad and with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Such a powerful scripture, first of all they devoted themselves nobody forced them nobody forced them they all devoted themselves it was something that rose up, the spirit that, that deep to deep, when they heard the message something so grabbed them on the inside, it galvanised them and everyone found a place in the house equalization right across instant equalization there was no need to distract people what an amazing move of God in this church an amazing thing that no one had any need why because those who had shared it equalization right across the church wow that takes a special thing the breaking of it. They devoted themselves, meaning they were focused on a particular mission. They were exclusive. They were wholehearted. They were devoted to the cause. Amen? They devoted themselves to... First of all, they devoted themselves, and then they devoted themselves to the apostles. And let's put that in context. They devoted themselves to a leadership because every church needs leaders and that's the chain of command that God the structure that God used we need to devote ourselves to God first that's the first and most important devotion see you'll never devote your, yourselves to anything if your hearts are not devoted to God i realized that a long time as a pastor my job is when, when people don't turn up to church and we used to sit there and think, why aren't they coming to church? Why don't they come to church? And I used to say to David, when David was on our lady show, I used to say, David, they're not devoted to God. You can't turn, a per- you can't expect a person to give 100% commitment when they're not devoted to God. People will commit themselves to other things. I'm only interested in, my role is to pray for you. And to help you and to work with you and to walk with you and to serve you in 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 many many different ways so my focus is on helping you serve the purposes of god that's what i'm called to be to do and we are called to help one another to serve one another to help one another to bring equalization where we we can as each part does its work And they devoted themselves. And then here's the next thing. Some people would devote themselves to a church. Why? Because in that church, they get a social culture. A lot of people, I meet my friends, I enjoy going to church because they have a good natter and there's a good social culture there. That's not, that's a benefit. That's not the purpose. Don't confuse benefits with purpose. Purpose. It's nice when we can make friends. It's nice when there's a social culture. But that's not, our, that's not our reason for coming to church. That is a benefit of coming to church. So they devoted themselves then to the teaching. To the teaching. Why? Because you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The, tr- the truth will determine your behavior, how you think. And they devoted themselves to the fellowship. To fellowship and to the fellowship. To fellowship means we want another. And to the fellowship, meaning the work of the house. Amen. And they devoted themselves to breaking the bread. In other words, they all understood and had a passion about what Jesus had done for their lives. So they were eager to take the bread because it reminded them and brought sobriety into their hearts of what Jesus has done. And the work that needs to be done. And the work that needs to be done, you can't do unless God intervenes. They were aware of the size of the task. And the last one, they devoted themselves to prayer. And that's the very thing that God is speaking to us. Our first wave move is prayer. But why? And I thought, well, Lord, that's so easy. He said, really? So why is it many of your church members don't do it? Or they do it in small amounts? Huh. Oh. If you can get your church praying, is what the Lord's saying, if you can get my church praying, that's his, you will find that a consciousness returns to people. And with a consciousness, a heart develops. And I can show them the scope of the land they're about to enter. I can show them what I see. So when we're prayer walking... As we go prayer walking now, it's amazing. My eyes are opened in a community that I've, walked, that I've been around all my life. And now I'm seeing our community with a very, very different set of eyes. I'm beginning to feel our community with a very, very different heart. I'm beginning to touch it in the spirit in a very, very different way than all the time I've lived in this area. Because when you live in the same area, you get familiar you see the same shops. You see the same roads. But you know it's not about the shops and the roads. It's about the spiritual atmosphere. What's going on in the city. This has become a crime infested area. That is about to change. That is about to change. When I know when my people pray. When, this is what scripture says. When my people who hear my voice And they humble themselves and they turn their face to me and they begin to pray. Then I will heal their land. And as you begin to prayer walk, please, please prayer walk. As you prayer walk, and and I'll give you those five things to say. How to pray. No, you don't need to do spiritual warfare. This is not the aim of the exercise. The aim of the exercise is to pray and ask God to open my eyes, open my heart. Let me, let me use his hands. Let me use his feet so I can step into what you're stepping into. And let God show you the community as he sees it. And your heart will begin to change. And then the next question is, Lord, how do we reach him? How do we go? Here I am, Lord. Send me, said Isaiah. Now, none of you feel qualified. But the good news is, everyone's qualified. So let me give you the word that we use in ADT this year. Our word this year is brave it out. Why brave it out? Why? Because there is this great argument over confidence. I need confidence. No, what you need is courage. You need courage. It's a season for courage. Confidence is all based on how you feel. Courage is doing something despite how you feel. So when God speaks to you, he says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and be very courageous. Your knees can knock, but do it nonetheless. He didn't say, if you're confident, you'll feel good, then you can do it. No, courage is not about confidence. Courage is doing it despite whether you feel good about it or not. And that's where we're coming to as a house. To do it. Nike says, just do it. Yeah? Well, we're not Nike. Our Bible says go. Go. Let's stand to our feet. I know we stand on the edge of change. Some of you are not sure. That's okay. That's okay. Some of you are thinking, well, I'll wait for the others to move first and I'll follow. I know, <coughs> but the law, even though it's not Biblical, we just might have to start, what was it called, I forgot what it's called now, no, no, the, the, the word I wanted to use, the, the few, the few, the few, where's it gone, come on Tony. This is it. So, calm down. There it is. The law of the vital few. That's what I wanted. Though it's not biblical, we just might have to start with the law of the vital few. But that's not our finishing. We start with what's here. We start with who's available. But the law of the vital few. I'm looking at the law of the final few. You're all the few. We are few in number, but we are great in strength. We have a God who is commissioning us. We have a God who's sending us out. We have a God who said, I'll, I'll, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We've got a God who says, you go and I'll back you. I'll give you my spirit. I'll give you my word. I'll give you signs and wonders. He says, church, I'm going with you. Moses said, well, if, 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 if you don't go, I'm, I'm, I'm not going. Stuttered. That's okay if you're stuttering. You may not have your, your language dexterity. You may not have the eloquence of the vocabulary. You may not have it. It doesn't matter. Go. Go. Paul says, I came to you in fear and trembling, but he still came. Yeah. Despite his fear and his trembling, he still came and his knees were knocking. What does that mean? You're in a shop. God just might say, go, on, go and talk to that person. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, not Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, I've got to get me bus. God says, "Go and ask. Go and talk." Well, I can't do that. 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 God says, "You can do it." Why? Because I'm the one telling you to do it. You can do it. Well, what will happen if you do it? Well, let's go and find out. No one wants to find out. Well, Lord, this isn't good. No, this is very good. What will happen if they don't agree? They don't like it. They don't like it, and they don't agree. So what? I didn't ask you to create the result. I asked you to create the action. Leave me in charge of the results. You do the action. Obey me. Don't worry about the result. You're all very quiet in this Catholic church. Let's raise our hands this morning. Wholehearted. Wholehearted. Come on, ask the Lord to give you that spirit of wholeheartedness. Don't pray what you feel. Pray what you should be praying. Pray what you know is the right thing to pray, irrespective of it feeling good or not. Lord, I need to be wholehearted. I need to be truthful. I need to be sincere, energetic. I need a fresh energy, Lord. I need a fresh earnestness, a seriousness, a reliability. A trustworthiness, Lord. Lord, these are the, the characteristics I need in my heart. If I'm going to respond to your word, oh God. Lord, do something in my heart. That I don't have it, Lord. I don't have it and I need it. And you want to give it to me, oh God, to build it into my life. I respond to your word this morning. And Father, I'm not wholehearted. hearted. I've been anything but whole hearted. But oh God, this morning, I come to you. And I ask you, Father, by your hand, by your spirit, by your word, do something in me. Stop this procrastination. I speak an end to procrastination. I arrest it in the name of Jesus. And I say, Lord, give me wholeheartedness, Amen. devotion, wholeheartedness. If it's good enough for Solomon, it's good enough for me. Oh, Father. I stand before heaven and I cry, oh God, give me what I don't have. Give me what I lack. Give me what I need. Father, help me to put my, get back into boots and follow your purpose wholeheartedly. I'm devoting myself to you, O oh God, to your word, to your ways. And the people of God said... amen Amen. father we thank you this morning for your word lord guard the seed let not the enemy of our souls steal the seed in confusion don't let the enemy steal our seed in fear but oh god protect it in jesus name amen amen well lord bless you